Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Do you go by JB uh, or John? Because I noticed the JB is on your LinkedIn profile, so I didn't know. What what do you prefer? Well, uh, nickname is JB, you know, John or JB, either one. Thank you. Oh, okay. <clears throat> or how about just sir? <laughs> no, that's right. If you call me general, I make you do push-ups. <laughs> Uh, now was the was the mustache was the mustache uh, after the military or, or could you grow that as a general? What are the rules there? I don't even know. Yeah, no, I had a mustache when I was a captain. I think later on in ranks, you know, I didn't have it. But uh, you know, when I retired, you know, I figured it was time to grow it back again. There's an old, uh, you know, General Robin Olds. You ever heard of him? He no, I'm Navy, sorry. No, World War Two and. In Vietnam, he was a bit of a character. We always had his big bushy mustache. And so in March, all of the these um, of the Air Force Academy and a lot of the fighter squadrons, everybody grows a mustache. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. What'd you think of that second Top Gun movie? Is that just all fiction or is any of that even close to what goes on? And what what are the oh. thoughts there? Well, you know, the photography in 1986, when the first one came out, was pretty good. But this one, the photography was amazing, you know. When you think about it, because the technology improved so much, but there's still a bunch of quirky things. I always get the kick out of when the um, when Tom Cruise, you know, the, the pilots, they just rack that stick back, you know, to make the climb last minute. You know, uh, you probably would over-G the airplane, rip the wings off, you know, if you did, did oh, that. Oh, really? Okay. You have to bring it in. You can't just, you know, <laughs> yak it back. So, but other than that, it's, it was a fun movie to watch. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I know guys like you probably dissecting everything. You're looking at it thinking, okay, that, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> we pulled, you know, they made a big deal about pulling nine Gs. We pull nine Gs in the F-16 all the time. So, oh, really? Okay. All right. So, all right. But, all right. Well, t- tell me a little bit, John, uh, about your family and early childhood stuff, mom and dad, before we get into the service and and everything, uh, you know, with Wings Over the Rockies. I, I want to know a little bit about some history, if you don't mind. Can, can you share? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in uh, the Bronx in New York City in a one-bedroom apartment. So, as you can imagine, growing up in the Bronx has got its challenges, but it also has its great rewards, you know. It was a neighborhood I grew in was a good one. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I graduated from uh, Cardinal Spelman High School, one of the Catholic schools, so I went to Catholic school from grammar school all the way through high school. Okay. And um, then when I finished high school uh, there, I uh, found out about the Air Force Academy and, you know, put my application in to be hopefully selected. And I was in 1969. And so I went to the Academy from 69 to 73. Why? Uh, what What was the attraction to the Air Force? Why specifically the Academy? What had that even come about? Well, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I was dating a girl in high school who had two brother, older brothers, and both of them went to the Air Force Academy. That's how I found out about it. I didn't even know it existed. In fact, I wasn't even really sure where Colorado was, to be honest with you. 
So uh, it was one of those things where it started saying flying and living in Colorado. That sounds like a pretty good opportunity. So yeah, yeah. yeah it kind of got the bug about, uh, I remember a friend of mine who lived next door in, in the apartment complex. He didn't have any children, but took a bunch of kids from the neighborhood to a, an airfield that was abandoned in Long Island and never been on an airfield, never touched an airplane, never talked to a pilot until that day. And, you know, go figure. Here we are. How about that? What did your folks do? My mother was a secretary and my father was a cop in New York, you know, the typical Irish cop. Wow. Wow. I bet he had some stories. He has some stories. He was a bit of a character. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. He was born. Let me guess. He was probably born when? 20s? 19s? 1921. My mother was born in 1920. Yeah. And they were all from New York, both of them. Born and bred. Is that right? And were their parents the first Irish over? Like, what's the what's the timeline there? I'm just curious. Well, my uh, my mother's side, my grandmother, maternal grandmother, was born in Ireland. My okay. father was about second generation Irish. But you know, I did one of those uh, ancestry.com things, and I'm 94 percent Irish. So what did I do? I married an Irish girl, and you know, she's um, her mother was born in Ireland. Her mother happens to be Mary. My mother's name was Mary. So not much originality there. But I remember when I got my 94%, you know, they, I think they only go to 95. You know, they don't go any higher than that. Oh, so okay. we got her tested and she got 95, of course. And she told me, dearie, he says, the 1% makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, have you have you been over? Have you been to Ireland? Oh, yeah. Not probably yeah. been to Ireland maybe uh, – Half a dozen times. Yeah. That's good. That's cool. Uh, see, I was wondering, I didn't know if your dad maybe served or, or something. Sounds like he served uh, in law enforcement, but, but I didn't know if there was any military history there. Yeah, he was in the Army. He was an artillery spotter for the um, for the Army and rose to tank, tech sergeant, did his typical thing. You know, he, he left when he was, he, he arrived in Hawaii two days after Pearl Harbor. And wow. he was just on his way there anyway. You know, and then uh, he didn't come back for the full five years. You know, he was gone from 19, really 1940 till 1945. Wow. So that plus being a cop in New York, I'm guessing he wasn't a soft guy. <laughs> well, he was kind of a typical Irish, you know, <laughs> didn't put up with too much, but um you know, days they're all drinkers and they're all smokers and, oh, you know, yeah. and so it was yeah. different different generation different generation do you have siblings one sister yeah, one she's sister. Time, yeah a couple of years okay so to get into you know the academy pretty tough or what was it was it i mean you must have been a straight a student you must have had a, like a letter from a senator how, how you know you must have been a good student good kid well uh, yes and no <laughs> I was a bit rambunctious when I was in my early years in high school, but uh, it was one of those things where uh, you have to get a congressional nomination. I was lucky enough to get one of those. My grades were pretty good, you know, and, you know, I played sports and had leadership in the student council and those kinds of things are all things when I advise young people, you know, you can demonstrate, you know, good academics, good social skills, good leadership skills, sports always helps. So I was a swimmer and ran track, and that seemed to be a, a help to get into the academy. But, yeah, okay. uh, nowadays I look at some of these applications. I don't think I can compete with the kids that go in there try to compete now. I wouldn't get in, but I was lucky did enough you, to get in. 
did you go in thinking I want to be a pilot and fly planes or I want to be an officer and a general someday or both? Did you have certain aspirations? Well, I tell you, I was extremely naive. I didn't even know what I was getting into, you know. So when when I got off the bus at the Air Force Academy, it was one of those things where it was 1969. So it was a kinder, gentler. And they oh, welcome to the Air Force Academy, huh? You know, and I said, well, that's not bad. And then we were there for a couple of days. They shaved our heads and got his uniform and marches around a little bit. But everybody was pretty nice. So I wrote back to my mother. I said, I think I'm going to like it here. It's a pretty, pretty friendly group. Well, that day is when the training started. Okay. <laughs> upperclassmen in your face screaming at you, you know, and I go, what the heck? So I knew I was going to go through basic training, but I had no idea what it was like. I had nobody really to talk to. And I never did talk to those brothers that, you know, I dated my girlfriends. So um, so it was all new to me, and I had no idea. But, you know, once I got the bug about flying, it was just, that's what I want to do. and knew right from the beginning. And uh, you'll get a kick out of this, but I was a, as a cadet, you can be flying gliders, and then I became a soaring instructor, a glider instructor as a cadet where you can teach other cadets. Okay. There was only 12 of us in my class that were in that category, but it wasn't me that I talk about when I tell that story. It was one of my classmates, and I was Sully Sullenberger, the guy who landed in the Hudson. Really? How about that? So he landed wow. a glider in the Hudson. Go figure. Do you, do you still have contact with him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got our 50th reunion coming up here in September. When you see him now, you're like, okay, man. So you're famous. They made a movie. You guys give him hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've seen each other over the years. You know, in fact, we honored him at the Wings of the Rockies in 2019. You know, I got him in. We honor one person or organization every year for our gala, and he was the honoree that year. And we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So your your career kind of takes off. You start slowly getting promoted from one rank to another, uh, et cetera. You must have done all the right things. You must not have gotten in trouble. Well, you know, I was a fighter pilot, so I flew F-4s to begin because that was the airplane at the time, and uh, later on flew F-16s. And, you know, I know people saw the movie Top Gun. Well, I went through the Air Force Top Gun called Fighter Weapons School. You know, kind of funny story. And that uh, I tell the Navy guys, you know, well, your Top Gun was only two weeks long and ours was six months long. And you know what they say? Well, it only took us two weeks to learn when you took six months to learn. So, <laughs> But actually, their their course now is a lot, lot longer, too. But in the very beginning, it was a short course, very short course. How about yeah. that? I, I didn't know that. OK. Uh, <clears throat> and. You let's see. When did you? How long did it take to make major general? Did you get? Did you do that right before retirement, or how long were you in that position? Well, let's see. I was in for thirty years. So I, I, I pinned on uh, general. Let's see, it would have been in my twenty-third year, and really? then I was major general in my twenty-seventh year, and then I retired a little after thirty years. Yeah, my was last that? my last uh, duty was I was the board member and executive director for the Columbia Space Shuttle accident. You know, this is the one we lost a teacher, mm -hmm. teacher in space. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, uh, excuse me, Columbia is, in 1986 was Columbia, was Challenger, that. and Columbia was in 2003. So mm -hmm. I was, I was actually in NASA in 1986 as a White House fellow mm -hmm. uh, when we lost the teacher in flight. And then I was selected as, when I made two stars, with a few other people uh, that were on the board. Um, four of us were flag officers and we had a former secretary of the Air Force. We had a former uh, Rhodes Scholar, 
lot of interesting people who are part of that investigation team. Uh, but that was the last thing I did on active duty. Did you want to be general? Did you want to make that, or were you just like, hey, I'm just doing, I'm just, I'm just going to kick ass, and if I get promoted, great. If I don't, you know. Or, or... Yeah, my ambition in the beginning, once I became a fighter pilot, was to be a squadron commander of a fighter squadron, okay. and I achieved that. So you know, after you do that, and if you do okay, they kind of look at you and say, well, maybe he's good enough to go up another rank. And and I was just fortunate. I had a lot of good opportunities and a lot of good mentors, you know, that I respected and appreciated. And uh, certainly a lot of good uh, folks that either worked with me or worked for me or I worked for. So mm -hmm. I was very blessed in a lot of ways in that regard. What's what, Do you want to share uh, maybe one of the most dangerous situations you were ever in, if you don't mind? You want, I know you probably had a bunch of them, but uh, can you share something interesting for the, for the uh, you know, for the listeners? Well, you know, after... Um, you know, after Desert Storm in 1991, uh, I was selected to go over and, and I was the um, group commander, they call it, and uh, for all fighter operations in really the Middle East, but it's mostly Saudi Arabia. So all the fighters we had there. So I did that for about uh, almost six months and then had a staff job. And then I came back to be the wing commander at Inchlig Air Base in Turkey where now I flew in Iraq from the north instead of from the south. Mm. And I did that for two years. And, you know, they shot at us, we shot at them. You know, it was times when, you know, it was a little hectic and uh, other times it was pretty boring, you know. Oh. So it wasn't all like uh, in two and a half years, you're constantly in a combat situation, not like World War II. It wasn't anything like that. Mm. But uh, pretty uh, pretty sketchy at the beginning and it kind of died off and picked up again died off, picked up again. So it was kind of back and forth until obviously uh, we went back into Iraq in, you know, 2003. Once you reached the level you did, did it get more political? Did you have visits to, to DC? Did you have to deal with politicians more? Was there any, did you ever have to deal with stuff like that or not really? Well, uh, I had four tours in the Pentagon. That might be four tours too many. <laughs> But, uh, no, it was good. I enjoyed uh, uh, quite a bit of it, you know, uh, but I did have a unique experience. I was uh, Secretary of Defense Cheney's military assistant for oh, two cool. years. Right. And that was um, an interesting time because it was not only during Desert Storm when it kicked off, uh, but also, you know, the failed, uh, you know, when the Soviet Union imploded, you know, uh, basically mm -hmm. after the wall came down in 89, really the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. I was there from 90 to 92. And, um, yeah, the, uh, obviously you see a lot of politics at that level. <laughs> yeah, I bet, right. And, but, uh, you know, Dick Cheney did a good job uh, for someone who'd never been in the military before, and he had the respect of the people, especially after Desert Storm. And I've, uh, you know, had the privilege of seeing him a few times after that over the years, and you know, he really enjoyed his time being Secretary of Defense. And, uh, I mean, you know, he did a good job. And it was also the failed coup in the Soviet Union. I don't know if you remember that when Gorbachev was under house arrest. And yeah, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen then. And uh, there was the riots in in uh, California, you know, race riots. So it was an interesting time. I call it a window in history. It wasn't like I was a big player, but I was by his side all, you know, most of the time. And you get to see some things that, most people don't get to see at that level unless you're <laughs> certainly a, a secretary of one of the major, uh, you know, parts of our government. But yeah, I, it was uh, it was a great education. 
How many presidents have you met? Five. Okay. Who is the most fascinating? Well, uh, I guess interesting <laughs> or fascinating, whatever word you want to use. <clears throat> I would probably say I I got to see uh, uh, President Bush Sr., you know, a number of times. Um, certainly when he was president, I was working for uh, Secretary Cheney. Yeah. But I also got to see him a couple of times after that, after he was president. And uh, there were some opportunities. I always thought that uh, all of them, he had the most experience. You know, he'd been ambassador. He'd been, you know, in charge of departments. He'd been so, you know, of course, vice president. So it was, but he was a generally nice, honorable, intelligent, and uh, an individual who had values, you know, and I respected that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Especially in light of what's going on today. I'm sure you met a few assholes along the way. Met a few. <laughs> you can go ahead and list them for us. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like you said, you have a lot, a lot of good mentors too, which is, which is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I credit, I credit my own career, which is not nearly as big as yours. But uh, yeah, if you, if you have good leaders and mentors in your life, it really makes a difference. Surround it does, yourself it does make a difference with good advisors. What's uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now with Russia, China relations? I mean, just what is your general, no pun intended. What what's your what's your observation about what's going on right now? Do you are you are you nervous? Are you worried about where we're at right now as a country with relations to to you know uh, overseas? Are you nervous at all? Well, you know, I don't think you can't not be nervous, you know, with what's going on. But, you know, I, I have a great uh, concern about democracy. And it's not just in our own country, but it's also in other countries. Yes. You, know, you see some of these people who have risen to power in a democratic forum and then kind of clamp down on democracy and become more of an autocracy. You know, yes. you see it in Poland and you see it in Hungary. You see it in, I spent two years in Turkey, you know, and I got to know the people real well there. And that's what's happened there in Egypt. Uh, to a large extent, never mind China and Russia. So we're starting to see remnants of a pushback on democracy in a lot of different places around the world. And I wow. think that's very promising. And I think some of it's been forced by Putin, you know, in regards to what's gone on with Ukraine. NATO was flailing in a lot of ways before, uh, you know, he invaded in uh, Ukraine. And now NATO is what I remembered it to be during the Cold War. It's more organized, more committed, more, you know, prepared, more funded. Uh, so that's there are pluses and minuses in any part of history. You know, when you see things that go on. But, yeah, I mean, uh, what's going on in Putin? Putin is at uh, probably his weakest point in his 20 plus years of being in charge. And the country's a mess. You know, he's given up. You know, we, we're not, not buying oil from him anymore. That's where he got a lot of his money from, and that's going away, you know, certainly from the standpoint of all the sanctions that have been put against the country. I really feel, really feel for the people in Russia mm. because, you know, they're getting denied so many different levels. And then China, you know, is a a one thing I, I do know about China, because uh, I've been there, but is that they take the long view. You know, a lot of times we are very short-sighted, one year, two year, maybe five years, maybe even 10 they have visions out to 50 and 100 years, and that uh, puts them at a strong advantage in a lot of cases. 
especially when you've got an autocracy that they have right now. But um, but they're showing some real kinks in the armor in a lot of different ways. You know, their their people are aging, their economy is not growing as fast as they were before. Uh, but they can um, they they they've got a large military. Navy's bigger than ours right now, as a case in point. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where Taiwan is a big hot topic because we saw what they did in Hong Kong. You know, after they said they wouldn't, they would keep it as kind of a semi-democracy. And, of course, that's not the case anymore. And then, of course, but, you know, he's looking at what Putin did in Ukraine and how what a backlash it was for the world. And, I, you know, I'm uh, hopeful that that thing does not turn into a, a major conflict because if that happens with two major most powerful countries in the world, the United States and China, we're all going to get hurt. Agreed. Yeah, and uh, and I'm you're much more of an expert on the topic than I am, but uh, my I look at it and think to myself, well, if they want to do anything with Taiwan, like what what can we really do? I mean, I don't can we really stop them? I I, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be tough, you know. I mean, just look at what Ukraine did. You know, it's it, they surprised the the world on how they were able to push back, and now with this. Uh, failed coup and whatever that was yeah whatever on. whatever that was by the way for the listeners we're recording this on the 28th of june 2023 and there was recently a i guess it was a failed coup of putin i, I don't know <laughs> yeah but i mean it, it also speaks you know to maybe china you know china didn't do uh, you know probably as well as they could during covid and how they clamped down on their people and mm. you know that's that's a memory that will be hard to re- erase among the populace there and uh, if they do something like that again, uh, you can see where it backfires like it's doing on Putin right now. Mm-hmm. He's got an internal conflict, uh, never mind an external one. You've seen, you've met a lot of smart people, uh, a lot of great leaders, a lot of politicians. And by the way, any any of these questions I ask you that you're not comfortable letting out on the live show we can always edit them out if you if you select to so we'll make sure we get your approval before we launch anything um what do you make of the leadership uh right now in the u.s and any potential leaders coming up like are you do you look at all the do you look at all the leaders we have right now or the potential leaders we could have and think just and scratch your head and go, gosh, can't we do better than that? Or what are your, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. You've, you've been around so many talented, smart people in your life. When you look at the situation now, what, what, what do you say to yourself? Well, I think we need to get back to some of the basics on honor and integrity and truth. And, you know, this business about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm frank about it with my friends. I'll be frank on your show. You know, I think Trump was a total disaster. I mean, he's got no values, no honor, no integrity. It's all about himself. And when I saw, you know, where, you know, he would, he's smarter than any general. He's smarter than any businessman. He's smarter than anybody else in the room. And he never took advice very well from very talented people that I knew mm-hmm. uh, and uh, respected. So we got to get back to the basics of, honor and integrity and, mm. you know, values uh, in when we select our uh, leaders. And that's a, that's something that just has got to get back again. Mm-hmm. You see any good potential leaders coming up? Anybody you like? <laughs> well, that one I, I won't speculate on right now because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. You know, <laughs> who is, who is out there that we really feel good about and, 
Did you but happen to put a plug in for no labels? You know, you, you may or may not know about that. This is a organization that's committed to having, you know, compromise and working. You know, there's, I believe, 32 congressmen in, in, in the legislature right now. But one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. And in order to be part of, you know, the effort there, you have to be able to compromise. And um, love it. So we'll have to wait and see. You know, there was Why some. Can't we? Yeah, politicians that take that on really well. How did we get so divisive? Was has social media caused the entire planet to 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 to? How do we get how do we get here, John? I, I to be I don't remember it. I mean, I remember as a, so I, I I graduated college in the in the eighties, and of course there were always sides and political parties, right? But I I don't remember it being so hateful and divisive. Or maybe have I just forgotten? <laughs> well, again, I'll, I'll show my naivete. You know, when we had the internet that came on. I was very excited about it because, you know, this is at the very beginning. I mean, of course, uh, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I figured that if if the, everybody had access to the internet, it would be hard for anybody to lie or to hold the truth back or, you know, because it would be out there. You know, when we were, uh, when we were sending it during the Cold War behind the Iron Curtain and you know, Radio Free Europe and things like that, you know, trying to get the information out to them. I said, well, the Internet's going to take care of that for us, and and we won't be able to worry about that anymore. Whoa, boy, was I wrong. You know, and and how, you know, fake news can go on and people can just yeah. continue to lie and then and lie and lie and lie, and they say it enough that it must be truthful to some people, you know, and it just goes on and on where, again, I go back to the answer. we got to Honor and integrity and values got to come back into the spectrum, and those are the folks we need to listen to. You may not always agree with them, uh, and you know I've been a Republican, and but I am not very proud of our Republican Party now. It's just to say, well, we have to have two parties, or maybe there's no labels is an answer to put maybe. another ticket up. Well, yeah. a Democrat, maybe a Democrat vice president, maybe a Republican president, or a Republican Democrat, or a, a, there's an idea. There's yeah, an idea. So, so it could be one of those things where you know American people have got to have better choices sometimes than uh, certainly what we've had in the past. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. By the way, I listened to that uh, Bobby Bobby Kennedy interview on Joe Rogan recently, and uh, he sounded a little bit like he was in the middle, really, kind of. I, I mean, I know he's a Democrat officially, but I was like, okay, well, he's not quite as hardcore on either either side. So to your point. Yeah, wouldn't that be? That's an idea. How about a Republican president or Democrat or vice versa, right? Like, both. Versa, yeah, yeah. wouldn't that be? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's an idea. Um, switching gears a little bit kind of touches on the social media. By the way, I personally believe social media has overall been a negative effect on society. <laughs> I, I think there's good things about it. I'm not saying it's all bad, but like as a whole, I don't know. I look at I look at what social media does to some younger people and how it, it makes people uh, feel bad about themselves because they're not as good as the girl they see in the video and they don't have the perfect life. I I, I just have a, I have a general sense that it it's not a positive thing overall uh, for a bunch of reasons. We could do a whole podcast on. We could do a whole sure, episode sure. on that topic. What was my point? Oh, my point. My where I was going to go was, how do you feel about the tech? AI situation, especially being a former commander and a and a major general in the Air Force, does the advancement of AI right now 
worry you? And and would you be one of those guys that, you know, apparently there was this group of people that signed the letter, signed this letter saying we should slow down. Do you think the same? How are you feeling? Well, you know, it, it's worrisome because we're really not sure what the full impact's going to be. But, you know, it's one of those things where um, I think it's got ahead of us our ability to have it under rules and regulations of some sort. Um, you know, if artificial television, artificial intelligence ever gets to the point of self-actualization, then we've got a problem. Okay. Agreed. And, you know, there are some very knowledgeable people on the subject more than I am about it. And they have signed letters and they've put a kind of caution card out there and said, we need to watch this, you know, because if it gets out of hand, it can do a lot of damage, you know, and even today it could do, I mean, now you're seeing videos of people that look like some individual and they can say whatever, you know, the person who sets it up wants them to say, and you say, is that true? Is that a real thing? And of course it's confusing for young people because you know, if, it, if they don't know what to trust and be able to be uh, identify with, then they've got challenges with that. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, insofar as the military is concerned, uh, one of the worries that I have is that, you know, we have to date been very cautious about autonomous targeting. What I mean by that is you can send a you know, robot out or, you know, a drone. And it can just sweep, 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 and it finds a target, it'll kill it, you know. That's autonomy. You know, we hold control right now with a human being with a button uh, before we end up employing right now. But if it ever gets to the point where we have autonomous uh, warfare, guess what can happen? And make it easier for people to make decisions to go to war because it's a bunch of robots and technology, and who knows where that can lead. So there is a military concern I know in a lot of us who have served in the service that this could go too far on an extreme. But uh, we always have to maintain the man in the loop, you know, who's got the finger on the button. Mm -hmm. uh, and that may not be the case 20, 30, 50 years from now. You know, I'm sure you know the famous speech from, from Truman, right, about the military industrial complex, right? And uh, man, boy, how many times have I heard that replayed in the last couple of years? I mean, boy, yeah. he was, you, you know. <laughs> That was Eisenhower, actually. I'm sorry, Eisenhower. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Eisenhower. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. But um, yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I, the way I say it, I don't, I don't use quite the articulate language you, you're using. But what I tell my sons is I say, look, the very first time a robot can make a robot without human assistance, then I'm worried. <laughs> well, you know, right now, I mean, they will have all inf more information than any of our brains could ever possess exactly. at any given time. Exactly. And if they continually learn, as you see with chat GPT and a few other things that are going on right now, um, yeah, it's a concern. So we have to be smart about it. We have to think ahead and, and we've got to be able to maintain control. So. Yeah, the first time I used ChatGPT, I, I won't forget it, it, which was not long ago, right? We're talking just in the last year this has happened. The very first time I used it, I was down in my office basement, and I played around on it for about 10 minutes. And I went upstairs, and I told my wife, I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, this <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> this is making me nervous. <laughs> well, you know, you'll see what happens. I mean, never mind the kids who can... You can write a dissertation on on uh, ChatGPT, and how does a professor? My daughter is a a uh, oh. tenured professor, and you know she's already oh. seen the challenges of students who are getting on, and 
You know, but, you know, it's one of those things, a car is an extension of your legs, you know, a calculator is an extension of your brain. I mean, computers yeah. are, so we have all these things that, you know, mask our ability as humans. And, but the brain is, that's a different subject. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it's going to mean for my granddaughters, but uh, yeah, I'm nervous about it for them. I, I'm 56. And so I figure, you know, I'm going to be dead before it gets too scary, but I would do worry about the the world for my grandchildren a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that definitely is something we have to think about. Yes. So, oh, I appreciate you. You know, you're just so experienced. I wanted to ask you about, you know, some of the tech and, and some of the foreign policy things. I appreciate mm -hmm. your insight on it. Thank you. So, you married, had kids, grand grandchildren. Give me the scoop. I, I didn't. I meant to ask mm -hmm. you in the beginning. What's the status there? Well, as we seven grandchildren, you know, I, I'm divorced and married again. So we have three on my wife's side and four on my side, and uh, we got uh, four boys and three girls. And youngest is uh, just turning four, and the eldest is just turned sixteen. So awesome. Keep, keep us busy. Okay, very good. And. What happened? You, you you retired and you're like you took a you took a year off, took a few months off, and you're like I'm bored. And then and your wife said, Hey, you need to go do something. And then and then the wings over the Rockies called you. What what happened? <laughs> Actually, there's a couple of chapters in front of that. Uh, I, I worked for a company called SAP for about almost three years, and yeah. was a vice president for the company, and really learned a lot. It was a great company, and and there was software, software, you know, yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. But and was that weird? But was that weird, by the way? I want to ask you, I don't mean to cut you off right there, but that that had to be that transition, that first transition from from the Air Force to SAP, that had to be odd for you. Well, it also was the public sector, you know, going from the public sector to the private yeah. sector, and working yeah, for a company yeah. that was, you know, yeah. trying to make money. So, uh, yeah, that was different. I learned a lot, though, because uh, I was always on the other side where we were hiring vendors, you know, in the, in the Pentagon and then military and things like that. So I learned a lot, and I was grateful for that. But then I was uh, superintendent of Aurora Public Schools for seven years. So I was kind of, I say it was like being a wing commander again, except the only airplane I had was mine. But we had 42,000 kids, and, you know, we had 60 schools and uh, high poverty in Aurora. 80, almost 82% was uh, what we call free and reduced lunch. And we had uh, 120 languages representing 130 countries in the school district. How about that? Very diverse. And... Uh, we had a great team and, uh, you know, I was most proud of a lot of things, but one, I'll give credit to my team and we came up with concurrent enrollment. You know, that's where you can start taking college courses while you're in high school, in high okay. school, in the okay. high school building. All right. We were the first one to do that pretty much in the nation. I didn't and know that. Statewide oh. with uh, the governor in Colorado and now it's uh, national, nationally. So How you can actually that? get college credit in high school while you're in high school. Very good. In the high uh, school building. Were you, you had to be, well, you seem like a very, uh, uh, your demeanor is not quite as rigid as I would have thought as a general. I thought <laughs> you would be a little more, maybe you've softened up. You've probably softened up a little bit. Uh, I think you've always been this way. <laughs> did you, did you, the, the teachers, they probably had to be like, holy crap, here comes the general. I mean. Uh... <laughs> well, but it was kind of funny because when I got there, they didn't know what to call me. I said, well, should we call you general? Should we call you, you know. Uh, superintendent, should we? I said, okay, listen, here's the deal. If you call me superintendent, I make you do push-ups. If you call me superintendent, I'll give you homework. If you call me John, I'll leave you alone. So worked out. <laughs> there you go. Okay, very good. Did you like it though? I mean, it sounds like you had some major accomplishments, but was the was the 
the, the parents and the politics were you like ah uh you know well, you know it's, it's the way i explain to people is you know if you're in a hierarchical organization like your military the guy who or gal who's had your job that, that that's your boss probably had your job you know here we had you know of course you had unions you had teachers you had parents you had, of course the most important is the kids and you had business and you had the politicians so it is a bit of a you know balancing act to keep all that in line but i had a really good team and uh you know, we were able to kind of go through the uh, financial crisis in 2008 and mm. come out strong. And our ability to put together what, you know, I would describe to you as pathways where we get kids a choice, even as early as elementary, pretty basic, middle school, uh, more focused, but clearly targeted in high school. What I mean by that was choice of health sciences, business, arts and communications, STEM. So you and I went to school, we all had the same thing, you know. And then elementary, middle, high school, you know, and you had no choices. We started giving kids the choices. And what we really discovered was when you give a kid a choice, choice is ownership. Ownership is motivation. Motivation is success. Mm. When they can see what they're interested in as a bit, as opposed to here's what you have to have until you get through high school. And then maybe if you go to college, you can declare a major and find out what you really want to do. Kids today want to do it a lot earlier than wait until they're you know, in their late teens and going to college or whatever. So that was a powerful um, insight for me to to be able to work through that. And we had a team that gave that. And I carried that over into uh, Wings of the Rockies because I was at a Boys and Girls Club uh, here in Denver Metro for three years before I became CEO for the last seven here at the museum. But that ability to have choice for young people is a very powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. One question on the kids and the speaking of choice and all of that and the kids in the school system before we get to the wings of wings over the Rockies. You didn't have to deal with this whole thing that's going on back because you left the school system in 2013, right? right? You didn't have to deal with this whole thing now about the girls and the boys and the, the transgenders and can this boy play sports on the girls team and this whole thing that all these superintendents now are having to, to try to figure out how to manage. You didn't have to face any of that. Um, do you have buddies calling you being like, John, what do I, what the hell do I do about this? <laughs> well, we what, did what, did, what advice are you giving them? Well, we did have issues in that time. It wasn't oh, you as did? Uh, oh, okay. prolific okay. as it is now. And it wasn't as, you know, popular, you know, from the standpoint of uh, having uh, a lot of people more aware about it, but it was a challenge, you know, and, and, but my basic advice and focus had always been on the kids, you know, a lot of times when adult issues get in the way of children in their learning, it's problematic, okay? And if you could just keep that litmus test in most cases, what's good for the kid, what is best for that child insofar as their learning is concerned, you usually, I won't say always, but you usually come out with the right decision. Mm-hmm. It's when you start getting into the adult issues, uh, getting in the way of the children learning, mm-hmm. that's when it gets problematic. Mm-hmm. And not always those answers are, you know, you can't make a car plunge. This is, this is what you have to do for everybody. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Complex systems fail in complex ways, requiring complex solutions. There's no silver bullet in any indication. So you have to take it on kind of a case guy case basis. But I found that, you know, always going back to what's right for the child mm-hmm. usually will end up resulting in a good decision. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that perspective. Very good. So then what happens? You 
retire from the school system. You did the the, the boys and girls club. Did did wings over the Rockies? Did they tap you? Did they call you? Did you have a friend? Yeah, I mean, you obviously knew a bunch of people there and things. How did it come about? And then I then let's do an overview. But first, how did it come about for you? Well, you know, I was on the board for seven years. I was chair for two, and then I've been the CEO for seven. So I actually was on the board while I was superintendent of schools. I see. And later on, at Boys and Girls Club and so forth. So I've been part of the organization for quite a while. I see. Uh, But in uh, 2017, they asked me to be the CEO, and I'd just been uh, finishing up because I'd been asked to be part of the Boys and Girls Club uh, as kind of a transition because my predecessor had been there 20 years, and they really didn't find the person that they wanted to hire. So I uh, mentored a young lady who's uh, doing a great job there now, and uh, it just happened to be just perfect timing when – uh, they had an opening at Wings of the Rockies, and they asked me to join, and I, I said I'd be honored. Yeah, but aren't you aren't you ready to play golf and chill out? Is this a full time job? Is it a full time gig or or no? I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't even. Oh, oh, okay. Job. Okay. Yeah, well, aren't I, you ready to Aren't you ready to relax? <laughs> well, you know, I get to walk into a 1941 uh, hangar building every day. You know, for the most part, and I get to fly five airplanes that we have because we give kids opportunities to fly for free give away $250,000 every year of flight training scholarships at $12,000 increments. You know, again, we have pathways, uh, as I mentioned, not health sciences, business, arts, and communications, STEM. We have four pathways within STEM, how to be a pilot, how to be an aircraft mechanic, how to be a, a, you know, a aircraft maintenance officer. And then we're building one for air traffic control. And we we even fly teachers for free and they become our mentors. And what better way to reach kids on the art of the possible than, you know, having a teacher become part of your uh, kind of makeup and being able to get the word out. So uh, as long as you enjoy what you're doing, you know, I feel like I'm uh, doing fine. Yeah, I was just about I was just about to say it fits you so perfectly. I mean, obviously, the flight, the planes, the Air Force, the kids and your passion for children, it just all goes together. I mean, you're absolutely perfect for it. For for the folks that don't know about Wings Over the Rockies, would you mind giving a quick uh, overview? Yeah, so Wings Over the Rockies' mission is to educate, inspire, and excite people of all ages about aviation and space, not just aviation, uh, both past, present, and future. So we have uh, one organization now with two locations. The organization that everyone knows about is up at Lowry Air Force Base, the old location when we closed that in 1994. The museum was formed. And then after that, in 1990, and I'm sorry, 2018, we opened a second site at Centennial Airport where we have 15 acres on an airport. But we have airplanes that fly there. We have simulators and drones. And uh, we have a school we uh, built there. It's a middle school, uh, Colorado Skies Academy. It's project-based learning. It's a unique way to learn for kids that I I really uh, saw when I was superintendent, but I, I really wanted to put it in this school. So anybody who's interested, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, this is a great charter school, public school uh, that is allowing them. And we're recruiting kids right now to do that. And then we're also um, looking to build a food hall on the campus because there's no better way to attract people to see your, you know, facility than have food and we can call (laughs) it uh, food entertainment uh, because it's going to be more than just uh, going to a great place. We're working on that right now. We haven't quite built it or got full permission yet but we're still working that and eventually we want to build a black sky gallery 
The big hangar where we have the airplanes is called the Blue Sky Gallery. Why aviation blue, you know, that kind of air. sky. Black sky is for space. Okay, and, got it. Uh, we, we have this thing that's already planned. It's called Traveling Through the Cosmos. It's going to make Disney cry if we could ever get it built. All right. And um, so we're in that process. So this is a very unique campus at Centennial Airport. One organization, two locations. Very good. It's wingsmuseum.org is the best website to go to to, to learn just about everything you you want to you want to yeah. know or any so other we, websites yeah wings over the rockies and when we say wings over the rockies there in space museum that's at lowry lowry cameras wings over the rockies exploration of flight is the campus at centennial yeah got cool. it okay very very good i want to ask about as we get towards the back end of this can i ask about space a little bit uh, uh i just i'm fascinated with the topic i'm not an expert on it um couple of questions for you. Should we be investing more time and money on space uh, travel? Should we be more aggressive than we're being? Or do you think it's about right? That's question number one. And then can you roll that into, is there life on other planets, John? <laughs> yeah, you know, what are you, what's your opinion? <laughs> well, should we be going into space? The answer is yes. I mean, it's just human nature to explore. We've done that from the yes. beginnings of time. And that's not something that we can erase from our DNA. So this is like 1969 to 72, you know, I was at the Air Force Academy from 69 to 73. So I was there when all the uh, missions to the moon were flown for Apollo. And then uh, now, you know, it's not, not just the Soviet Union and the United States, <clears throat> it's the United States. And, you know, right now it's 24 countries that have got more than satellites and I think seven of them have launched satellites from their own country um, proper. Mm -hmm. But then you got the private sector, you know, that is involved now. Yes. So it's a much different mix of, of energy and money and talent and ability to go into space. So, yeah, the, I'm excited about uh, Artemis. Uh, Artemis 1 was flown uh, with the Orion and Lockheed Martin, and they flew around the moon without any astronauts on. Artemis 2 hopefully will be launched next year or, or shortly after. And that'll be this time flying around the moon with astronauts on board, male and female. And then Artemis 3 is when we land on the moon again. And hopefully that's before 2030. And then Artemis 4, I'm really excited about because we're actually going to put a space station around the moon instead of around the Earth. Oh, I didn't and know that. We're going to start building a permanent habitat on the moon. I did not know that. Okay. Wow. That's the plan. Okay. All right. All being led by NASA. Well, NASA is a big part of it, of course, uh, a lot of uh, private sector. You know, we, we see what's going on there. Uh, Lockheed Martin and SpaceX and different but who's kinds in of charge. Yeah, but, who, but who's in charge? I, I interrupted you. Sorry there. I, but who's captain? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's being driven by and with the guidance of uh, NASA. But, you know, it is a lot more private sector than it was when I was a White House fellow in 85, 86, when uh, we lost the... Um, teacher in space, you know, with Challenger, and even more so when I was you know, investigating NASA back in 2003 after Columbia failed and we lost the crew on the re-entry. Mm -hmm. So um, that, I think, is exciting that uh, we have all these different facets, different countries, private and public, you know, money's going into it. And we need to be an interstellar race that goes to other places in the universe. So this is an exciting time to be alive. And I tell young people right now, the person who is going to walk on Mars is alive today and probably a teenager. 
That is a great point. Never thought of it that way. Uh, yeah. You're right. What's the timeline to get to Mars right now? Six years, five years? Well, to move, get to the moon, it's about six years. To get to Mars, and, you know, people say 2035. I'm not that optimistic, but it, somewhere in the 2030s. Um, and what about the timeline from the time the rocket takes off from the Earth to Mars? How long does the person have to be gone? Well, that's, you know, this is what I always tell kids. It's kind of funny because they said, how long is it going to take you to go from, let's say, the plan right now for the most part is to go to the moon and launch off the moon to go to Mars. So let's say six months. Okay. Then we're going to be on Mars for six months. All right. And then I ask the kids, well, how long is it going to take to get back? And they say, well, six months. No, it's going to take a year to get back because of orbital mechanics. So we'll launch when we're close to Mars. But if you, unless you want to stay there for another year and a half, you won't get back to that point again. So you're going to be launching with greater distance. And the other one that I get a kick out of telling them, I, wow. I said, if you've got uh, two twins, and they're both born within minutes of each other, one goes to Mars and one comes back. One's older and one's younger. And they go, what? How's that possible? Well, that's the Einstein's theory of relativity. And that, I, I challenge them to find out to do the research when they get older, to figure that out for themselves, because we haven't figured it out completely either. Uh, how about that? That's in, and you okay? What about the life on other planets? Life on other planets. Well, if you just do the sheer odds, right? <laughs> there are more suns than there are grains of sand on this planet by orders of magnitude. Okay, so just by sheer numbers, there has got to be life on other planets. Now, whether it's an amoeba, you know, a little protein or if it's uh, actually somebody's walking around on two legs i have no idea but the odds are that it is definitely life beyond earth how about this if we i think about i don't know why i think about this if we actually did discover another being let's say let's say uh, uh, life landed here from another planet would that help unite countries on in on the planet earth that that are fighting and hate each other right now and we would bond as human beings or would we be even more split and be trying to like okay well we're going to make friends with the aliens before you do and how would that go what do you think would happen well you're the enemy of my enemy is my friend you know so you know if you if you have a common threat it does bring people just look what happened in nato i mean That's with ukraine and, and russia i mean it would nato was fledgling you know is kind of you know, kind of weakened and uh, it was trying to figure out its purpose. And now there's that threat of what Russia's doing and, and what could have been done had we not stepped in. And we'll see what Ukraine does in the long run. But, you know, um, it does unite people with a common threat. You know, so my short answer was, if you look at all these science fiction movies, that's what always happens. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 tend, I tend to agree. So that's my that's my opinion. I'm always telling people, I, I always say, look, if, if aliens land, all this fighting we're doing about, you know, this country or this politician or this sexual orientation or this religion, a lot of that's going to be wiped away because we're just going to be concerned about we're humans and they're not. And let's let's try to team up here. I I think I could be wrong. <laughs> we may. I don't know if you and I will get to see that, but we may. I know. <laughs> And you know UFOs what? out there, we don't explain, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. by the way, okay, I wasn't going to ask you that because we're almost out of time. What is this What is this noise that I'm – all of a sudden, UFOs are, are – are, that topic is popular again. And what's going on with that, John? What, what? This has been going on since, I'd say, you know, late 40s, early 50s. I mean, here's a contingent of people that 
are absolutely convinced that, you know, UFOs and people from other planets have come down here. And who knows? I, I can't say they're wrong. I can't say they're right. But uh, there is uh, a lot of unexplained anomalies that even the Pentagon is looking into. Uh, and particularly Navy um, fighter pilots have identified things yeah. that they've seen on radar or even visually, and they just can't explain it on how it's moved. You know, yeah. we know how airplanes move and, you know, we know how fast they are. And we see when particularly when you're going, you know, Mach 2 and Mach 2, and we know how that and that looks like. But to see something that has moved differently, it's, it, it, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. For sure, it seems to be uh, hotter in the news lately. I don't, I don't know why uh, it is. I keep, my my conspiracy theory mind pops up and goes, well, they're just trying to get us used to it because they actually know that they're out there and they don't want us to be too shocked. I, I, but I'm just, you know, being silly. <laughs> I hope I'm it's alive to see TV it. Movie. Yeah, I'm like you though. Uh, on a serious note, I, I would be, I'd like to still be alive to see that happen, some sort of connection happen because it would be that's that would be one the biggest moment of history on planet earth. Right. So I'd like to be around to see it if it is, if it does happen, but anyway, yeah. well, sir, what a career. I mean, uh, I, I admire, and, and you look like you're in great shape too. I don't How do you stay? You, you look, I mean, what, what do you, you, you must be on a pretty strict diet and must exercise still pretty regularly. And my wife always says like, you used to do more pounds losing, but no, you got to stay, uh, you know, try to work out and uh, stay in good health. And I'm married to a nurse. So that's a good advantage. I tell you. <laughs> you look great congratulations yeah. uh on your career oh, appreciate you appreciate you sharing on the rider flex podcast sir thank you very much thank you thanks a lot thanks for the invitation and uh thanks for the opportunity to talk about this amazing organization that we're part of at wings of the rockies and we invite anybody to come out and see what we're doing uh particularly the second site we're always doing something different on weekends we fly kids for free we give free scholarships we allow them to you know fly drones get their license at 16 you can solo in a glider at 14. You can uh, get your license in a glider at 16. You can solo in a powered airplane at 16, get your license at 17. You can get a license to fly drones and make money at 16 years old flying drones. There's a good one. There's you a good know? one. And if you're an aircraft mechanic, and uh, even if you don't go to college, uh, by the time you're 24, you're making over $100,000. So there's a lot of opportunities. The problem is young people don't know what they don't know. And we're trying to give them what the art of the possible is. So come by and visit us. We'd love to show everybody. But thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, sir.